life that is not fully under your sway. And so right now we make a choice to open our minds to your truth, uh, open our, our life to your correction, to your comfort, to your love. We want to leave having encountered you in a fresh, dynamic way uh, through worship, through your word, and through your body. And so we just uh, invite you to come and, and have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. There is a small section of the Old Testament, however, that is written in Aramaic. And in the New Testament, there are a few Aramaic words. And so when you're reading in the New Testament, assuming you're reading it in Greek, uh, if you come across an Aramaic word, uh, it, it causes you to stop and, and ask why. Why is this just not in Greek? Now, one of the places we, where this happens is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. The Apostle Paul is writing in Greek, and he says, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. This last phrase, our Lord come, is an Aramaic word, Maranatha. And so, you know, if you're reading along in uh, the Greek and you come to Maranatha, you're asking, why? Why didn't he just write that in Greek? Well, the reason is, um, by the time Paul writes this letter, Maranatha had become a catchword amongst the early Christians. Uh, the Christians, early Christians, would often greet each other. Maranatha! Come, Lord Jesus, expressing their anticipation, their hope that Jesus, their Lord and Savior, was going to return. And, and so they were saying, come, Maranatha. And so let's take a moment, uh, if you're comfortable, turn to your neighbor and say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. I have been saying uh, to myself, Maranatha, this week as I've been studying, and, and uh, I, I'm saying it more enthusiastically. Uh, every day. My little girls, uh, or I should say my girls when they were little, uh, they still do this a little bit, Aubrey especially. In fact, just yesterday she did this. But they would, it seemed like they anticipated their birthday all year long. Every time they would see a toy they wanted or think of some birthday theme, my girls seem to think their birthdays need themes, like uh, beach party or princess party. And well, So they would say, Dad! My birthday's coming, remember? And it's like nine months away. My, my birthday's coming, and I think you should buy that toy for me. Or, are you getting the tiki torches? It's only six months away, you know? And so they would live their, their entire year in anticipation of their birthday. And the Bible says we're supposed to be like little children. I think one of the ways is uh, in anticipation uh, of our, the return of our Lord Jesus. Uh, do we say, Maranatha! To ourselves and to each other. Come quickly. Come Lord Jesus. We long for you. You know there are some things though that can uh, steal our anticipation. They can rob us of our excitement about the return of Christ. Uh, one of those things is if you are not confident that Jesus' return is good for you. If you're afraid that it actually spells judgment. 
my mom, when my dad was uh, fighting in Vietnam, I, they were stationed in Japan. My mom taught English, and her students were uh, Japanese. Now, my mom had grown up in a United Methodist church, but at that time in her life, she, she was not yet a born-again Christian. She had never repented of her sins and asked, invited Jesus uh, to be Lord and Savior in her life. But her Japanese students figured she's an American, so she's a Christian. And uh, one of her Japanese students, uh, after class one day, uh, shared with my mom, Maranatha. Uh, talked about, aren't you so excited that Jesus is coming back? I can't wait. And she just, she maranatha my mom. But uh, rather than my mom being excited with her, she said, that scared me. She said, that conversation didn't, didn't uh, bring me any hope and any comfort. I, it scared me, and I began to have nightmares. That conversation caused me to have nightmares, and I would wake up uh, with this um, dream that Jesus had returned, and it wasn't good for me because I wasn't right with God. And so if you are not 100% sure that Jesus' return is good for you, well, then you're not going to be anticipating his coming. And if that's you today, uh, the good news is by the time the sermon's over, I'm going to have uh, told you exactly how you can become confident that you are right with God and that when Jesus returns, it's good for you and it doesn't mean judgment. A second anticipation thief uh, is apathy. The assumption that he hasn't returned in 2,000 years, so why should I expect him to return anytime soon? My lifetime. And so we as Christians be, can become apathetic and not live Maranatha. And we can just, just sort of go about as if Christ isn't going to return and not make our judgments and, and, and uh, decisions how we spend our time and energy in light of the uh, eventual and sure return of Jesus. And to that, Christ reminds us in Revelation 16, 15, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he might not go about naked and be seen exposed. Jesus is going to return, and it's going to catch most people by surprise. Uh, and Jesus says, don't let that happen to you. Stay awake. Be prepared. And uh, later we're going to see uh, when we, we're, we are encouraged to live in such a way that when he returns, we are not ashamed. Third anticipation thief uh, is being enthralled with this world. When I was a young, a young man, I, there, were, there were many times where when I thought about the return of Christ, I said, just don't return until I get married. And I, I just want to experience that part of life first. Uh, but, the, but the older I get, the more I realize that the, the greatest joys on earth pale in comparison to what is in store for us. Jesus says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. When it's ready, I'm going to come back and then get you and take you there with me. 
We are told in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. You haven't seen it. You haven't even thought about it. You have not even imagined what God has prepared for you. When Christ returns, he is truly ushering us into a better existence at, on all levels. And, and so, you know, if you're like I was, and there's something that you're thinking, just not yet because there's still some more pleasure. There's still some more aspirations I have. There's some more of this life that I want to suck up and experience. Uh, you're... Your thinking is clouded. You're deluded. <laughs> because when Christ returns, it's better. Everything is better. So we are 31 weeks into our 31-week overview of the Bible. Wow. Well done. We're done. Actually, next week we're going to wrap it up. Uh, Brad Alexander will be here. He's going to do a dramatic monologue uh, of the entire story. It's going to be quite exciting. Uh, encourage you to be there. But this is the final chapter. We have, we have gone through the whole Bible, and, and so this week the chapter was about end times. Uh, how the world wraps up. What's, what's going to happen after this world and, and time ends. And so we as uh, humans are curious. We always want to know timetables and timelines, and we want to sketch it out on our graphs, right? And that's, you know what, that's just human nature. In fact, uh, Jesus' own disciples wondered about the timeline. In Mark chapter 13, verse 1, we read, as Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. The, you know, the temple and its complex was impressive. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Most likely he was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem that took place in 70 A.D. by the Romans. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all of these things are about to be accomplished? Right? They're wanting to know. Uh, hey, how's this going to happen? What's, when's it going to happen? What exactly is the whole timeline here? And so we do this. We read the scriptures and we want, we want to know, how does this all play out exactly? But when you're studying eschatology, which is the fancy word for uh, the study of end things or last things, you've got to understand this principle. Jesus tells us what we need to know, not necessarily what we want to know. What we need to know, not necessarily want to know. There's a lot we want to know that the Bible doesn't tell us. We, we want to uh, fill in all the blanks. Uh, some blanks are left. And the Bible is a little, uh, um, a bit ambiguous on some of the timeline stuff. But because we're all curious, I'm going to take just a moment to uh, kind of uh, do a refresher or an introduction on the basic views of uh, how this all plays out. Uh, here at Clearwater Church, we don't take a position on the, the, the timing. 
we do take a position on the fact that Jesus will return. He's going to be the victor. Uh, there will be a judgment of all people. There's heaven and hell. Uh, but how it all plays out, uh, you, you have to study the scriptures and come up with your own decision. But here are the four basic views. Uh, number one is post-millennialism. It's called post-millennialism because the assumption is that Jesus Christ will return after the millennium. What's the millennium? It's an, a thousand-year uh, golden age, or could be not necessarily a thousand years. And so post-millennialism says we're in the church age, and the gospel will end up having greater and greater sway over the world, that it's, it, it's as if Christ is king because most people on planet Earth have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, and it, it is done on earth very much like it is in heaven because the gospel has gone out and holds sway. And after that happens, Jesus will return. There will be judgment of the living and the dead and entering into the eternal state, heaven and hell. That's called postmillennialism. The next view is called amillennialism, and they, they, they don't believe in a millennium at all. They just say, we're in a church age, and then Christ will return. The, uh, the judgment of, the, of all people who have ever lived will happen, and then the eternal state. Then the third view is called classic premillennialism. Classic premillennialism says uh, the church, we are in the church age, and the church age will end with a, peer, a tribulation period. Seven years of tribulation, the rise of the Antichrist. Uh, Christians who are alive will go through the tribulation, and then Jesus will return. When he returns, Christians will be raptured, uh, be caught up with the Lord in the air, and he will return at that same moment um, to usher in a thousand-year millennium. Now, in, in classical premillennialism, the idea is that Jesus himself is on earth ruling. He's the king. And so that goes on for a thousand years or whatever that period is. And after the millennium, then there is the resurrection of the dead, the judgment, and heaven and hell, the eternal state. And then there is a pre-tribulational premillennialism. Ah, whew, fancy words. And the, the only real difference there is pre-trib premillennialists don't believe that Christians go through the tribulation. Uh, their understanding from the scriptures is that uh, right before the tribulation, Jesus come, returns. Christians are caught up into the air with him. We hang out in the air for seven years, or wherever Jesus is, until the tribulation is over. Then we return and poof, enters into the millennium. Now, I have my, uh, my own... I vacillate personally between classic pre-trib and uh, classic pre-millennial and pre-trib pre-millennial. But again, we don't, as a church, we don't take a, a, a position. You can have any one of these four positions, uh, and you're fine. Fine, of course, fine, but I'm not going to come down on you. But here's, here's the thing. Uh, we, here's what we believe. In the end, Jesus wins. Bible's very clear. Jesus is returning someday. And he's going to return to judge the living and the dead. And those who, who have persisted in their unbelief and their wickedness, their rebellion against God, they will spend eternity in hell. But those who have repented of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ, they will spend eternity with God in heaven. In the end, Jesus 
wins. And so the Bible tells us uh, what we need to know, not necessarily what we want to know, but we need to know who wins. That is very important so that we know how to live today. So I want you to think about a horse race. Imagine that you're, a bet, you're betting on a horse race. You go to the tracks, and for some reason you know, you have 100% certainty that which horse is going to win. If you knew 100% which horse was going to win the race, you'd bet it all. You would empty your pockets. You would shake out your wallet. You'd go hit up your friends and family. Come on, give me anything you've got. You would bet it all on that horse because it's a sure bet. And that's, that's what the Bible is giving us uh, in, its, uh, in the end times. Is it saying Jesus is the sure bet. In the end, Jesus wins. And so you ought to bet your entire life on him. Hold nothing back. By faith, you commit your entire life to the teachings of Jesus Christ. You invest all of your, uh, your hopes and your dreams in Jesus and in his return. And if you do, there is massive payoff in the end. First John chapter 2, verse 28, we read, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Jesus is going to return someday, and when he returns, uh, we want to be confident and unashamed. And so... I want to spend the rest of our time talking about how, what we need to do so that we are confident and unashamed when Jesus returns. So to be confident. Remember my mom was not confident. She was not confident because she wasn't sure that she was right with God. She, she was not sure that she was saved. And so the first thing you need to do is make sure you're saved. And God doesn't want you to have any a question mark in your heart about where you stand with God. Just a couple chapters over, the Apostle John in uh, 1 John 5, 13 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope, not fingers crossed, not I think so. I write these things so that you may know, so that you have confidence that when Jesus returns, it's good for you, not judgment. That's God's heart for us. He doesn't want us to walk around insecure. He wants us to know for sure. So what do we have to do? Well, it says there, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Uh, the verse in front of it, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So you want to be confident? You've got to ask the question, do I have the Son? Is Jesus in me? Is his life within me? Is his Holy Spirit within me? Elsewhere, the Bible says that, you know, if the Spirit of God indwells you, remember, it was the Spirit of God that brought Jesus from the, the dead. 
And if that spirit dwells within you, he's going to bring you from the dead. So how do we know that we have the Son? Well, the Bible talks about it in terms of two words, repentance and faith. And so to repent means to turn, to turn away from something. What is it? You're turning away from a life of independence from God, a life of sin. You're turning away from a life where you sit on the throne of your life. You call the shots. And you say, I'm done with that. I turn away from that. And toward, that's faith. Faith is turning toward something new, and it's toward God. Through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And so you're saying, I'm turning away from a life of sin, independence from you. I'm turning toward a life of relationship with you by following your son, Jesus Christ. I receive his death upon the cross as payment for my sin, and now I commit myself to living out his teachings in my life. The Bible repeatedly says, we do that, we have the son. And so we can have confidence that when Christ returns, what we hear is, enter into my rest. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I know you and I love you. And you're going to be with me forever. That's God's heart for you. So today, if there's any doubt in your, in your mind that you are saved, boy, don't leave here today. And at the end, we'll have a time of prayer. God wants you to be sure. You can leave here today sure that you are right with God, that you are saved. Well, secondly, we don't want to be ashamed. It is coming. And uh, one thing that would cause us to be ashamed is, is if we are not growing in Christ's likeness, if we're content with just uh, life as, as we are. 1 John chapter 3, the Apostle John writes, verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And then here it is, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Uh, a natural part of the Christian life when you have the hope of, uh, of Maranatha in your heart, you purify yourself as he is pure. Now, I have a professor in, uh, in seminary who, who used to say, and I love it, he would say, we work toward what is best, but we work with what we have. And we're all at different places. We're all working toward be holy as I am holy. But for some of us, uh, it's a huge victory to not, you know, take drugs, put a needle in our skin, or uh, yell and scream at our spouse, or, you know, uh, indulge in pornographic materials. For others, it's, you know what, for me, I need to work on, you know, coveting, wanting somebody else's possessions. Uh, having bitterness in, in my heart toward another person. or So we're on different, you know, different places, but the key is the trajectory. What's your trajectory in life? And, and if you are purifying yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit, then when Christ returns, you're not ashamed. You're not ashamed. You're being faithful. Another thing that might cause us to be ashamed at Christ's return is if we are uh, busy with our own kingdom, and not building God's kingdom. Are we on mission with God? 
Matthew chapter 24, verse 45, Jesus says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. When Jesus returns and he will, will he find you busy with his stuff? Busy building his kingdom? Or are you busy building your own kingdom? Seeking to uh, suck every ounce of pleasure out of this temporary fading world. We want Jesus to return and find us busy with what's important to him. With what matters to him. So that he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus saved us, but he's left us here on earth. And for a reason. It's not so that we have more time to enjoy this, this creation before he destroys it. He's left us on the earth so that we can get the gospel out. The Bible is clear that uh, every moment Jesus delays his return, it's out of his uh, gracious patience. He wants to give humanity uh, as much time as possible to repent and be saved. And so we, the follower of Jesus Christ, we have been given uh, a set amount of time. We don't know when it's going to end. We don't know if it'll end today. But while we're alive and when, until Christ returns, we have an opportunity. An opportunity to share the good news about Jesus. The opportunity to combat a wickedness in the world. Promote righteousness. Boy, I loved uh, that quote that uh, Seth shared. See if I get this right. I hadn't heard that before. But before there is witnessing, there must be weeping. First, be a winner of souls must first be a weeper of souls. Jesus is gonna, going to return. That we know. When, we don't know. But he could return any moment. And for many people, the Bible says that when Jesus returns, it's our memory verse for this week. That uh, when he returns, the nations will mourn. That's a tragic thing. That means that for many, for most people, when Jesus returns, they're going to realize their life was wasted, that they uh, persisted in unbelie unbelief, and that Jesus is truly who he said he is, the son of the living God. And it'll be a time of great mourning. And we don't want that. For our friends, family, we don't want that for anyone. And we have time. Right now we have time to share the gospel. There are 66 books in the Bible. The very last book is Revelation. Revelation has 22 chapters. In the very last chapter of the last book of the Bible, and the last chapter has 21 verses. Let me read you the final two verses. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The next chapter in God's story is the return of Jesus Christ. It will happen. We don't know when it will happen. It could happen today. Are we living our lives in a way so when he returns, we are confident and unashamed? Let's pray. Jesus Christ, Maranatha, 
Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. We pray that because we know that when you return, it'll be good. We know that because we are confident that our sins are forgiven and that we stand right in your eyes. We say that because we long for evil to be destroyed. We long for you to be fully in control of us, all those around us, and all the systems of the world. We long for a new heaven and a new earth, for Satan and his demons to be bound forever, for it to be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Why do we long for that? Because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We have tasted and seen that your plan for us, your purpose for, purposes for us, the way you treat us is nothing but love. It is so good. If you came here today not confident, where you stand with God. God is making an appeal through me today. Be reconciled to the Lord. He wants you uh, to be forgiven. He wants you to, to be right with Him. If that's you, I'm going to say a prayer. There's no magic in the prayer, but if you repeat this, uh, meaning it the best you know how, the Lord will honor it. So if you want to become a follower of Jesus Christ today, if you want to know that your sins are forgiven, just repeat after me. God, I repent of my sins. I turn from my life of independence from you, doing whatever I want to do. I get off the throne of my life and I invite you to sit on it. I turn toward you by having faith in your son Jesus I embrace him as my savior and lord receiving his death upon the cross as full payment for my sin and from this day until I die I will devote myself to following his teachings to being filled with his spirit And God, I receive the promises you give me in your word that because I have this faith, you give me the right to become a child of God. And that when Jesus returns or when I die, uh, I will rise from the dead to spend eternity with you in heaven. God, I pray this with my whole heart. In the name of Jesus, your son, amen.